Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we are breaking down all 16 Week 4 matchups. As always, with the focus on providing you all with some actionable fantasy football takeaways. Hope everyone had an awesome time watching some football in Week 3. A lot of fun games. Been seeing a lot of overs, hit overs the last few weeks. Points flying on the scoreboard. But as Bill Belichick would say, if he was you know a loser fantasy analyst like us, we are on to Week 4. So joining me today, PFF and established run analyst, Dwayne The Rock McFarland. Dwayne, how's it going, man? Man, I, I like that. I don't, I don't think, you know, my muscles look big enough to be the rock, but, you know, <laughs> I'll take it wherever I can get it, man. Uh, man, I'm excited. I have a ton of stuff. I'll try to hit this stuff quickly, like, you know, on the teams that I'm hitting. But, like, we have three weeks in the books now, so it's like we can actually see some trends. So super excited to jump in. Yeah, at least 180 minutes on all these teams. Had a few uh, overtime games, throwing that up a little bit more. But, yes, uh, make sure, you know, throughout the week, make sure you go to pff.com. Check out Dwayne's, uh, you know, utilization report. One of, my, one of, one of in my opinion, uh, the best uh, pieces you'll find on the Internet in regards to fantasy football and just actionable football takeaways in general. So, you know, if you've listened to these episodes over the past few weeks, we go through the games. I'll list the matchups, spread, and game total. And then Dwayne and I will each give a fantasy take on uh, one of the teams. We'll move on to the next one. Still plenty of time throughout the week to uh, more fully form our opinions. We're recording this on a Tuesday night, so still got to, you know, grind a little more film, crunch a few more numbers, but uh, the thought is that it's a good way of, you know, getting familiar with the week, learn some helpful fantasy nuggets as we go. So starting off with an absolute bang, we got the Broncos at the Jets, uh, you know, the so the Broncos are not starting Jeff Driscoll. They're going with Brett Ripien. They are banged up on both sides of the ball. They're traveling to New York, and guess what? Vegas does not care. The Broncos are still favored by a point against Adam Gase and company, the over-under has gone from 41 down to 40. Not a lot to like on this uh, Broncos side of the ball. I think the only guy you can really fire up a confidence this week in fantasy land is Melvin Gordon. And even then, like, we're not loving what we saw last week. Uh, ended up being about a 60-40 snap split with Royce Freeman. This was a week after. I mean, with Philip Lindsay's sideline with his toe injury, uh, Gordon really took over. He was playing an 80% snap uh, rate against the Steelers and looked well enough doing it. But, you know, it's just we're reaching this point now where it's just really hard to expect, you know, not only anything from Gordon, but just really anything from a running back that would be in this position. Truly, you know, I going in this year the Broncos had a feel of you know maybe a sneaky playoff contender really good defense they're getting some key pieces back you know Drew Locke at least had a wide range of outcomes even if you weren't really a believer but now down the third string quarterback the defense is looking awful they just haven't been able to move, move the ball well all season just because it's the Jets I think we need to treat Melvin as an RB2 but you know if you can find a good offer for him out there I would not be afraid to trade this guy I just think more weeks than not we're going to be looking at this Broncos offense and not liking what we're seeing so Dwayne any, any, any positives about the the Jets or you still keep breaking my heart with uh, Chris Herndon pass blocking snaps? Man, I brought you a little nugget. I don't know what it's going to be worth to you, Ian, but you know, if you look at Herndon from a snaps percentage, 71 to 74 to 80%, routes oh, routes are up 54 to 59 to 67. So they're having him block a little less. Still, you want to see, you know, if tight ends can get into the 70% on an offense this bad, you probably need him like in the 80, 85% range. But it's like maybe, maybe Adam Gase read like some of our Twitter comments. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm sure he could care less. But it does appear that they are trying to get him a little bit more involved. So just a guy, yeah, you keep your eye on him. But it's like, you know, we're not going to, you know, keep a candle lit for this guy, you know, and keep waiting. <laughs> I'm dropping him in shallower formats or I've already moved on. If I'm in a deep, super deep kind of league, you know, 12, 14 man with super deep benches, lots of flex spots, you know, I may hang on to him one more week just to see, but I'm like you, there's really not much to like, you know, in this game, Braxton Berrios is really like 
the number one receiver, you know, whenever the game is anywhere within reach, you know, this last week, they just got their wheels blown off by Indy, but we could have Jamison Crowder back this week. Early signs say that he could be favorable to, you know, make an appearance. So if you've got Crowder, you know, and he, and he gets a full practice in, you know, these next couple of days, you know, he's somebody that, you know, if you're in an absolute pinch and we don't know what's going to happen with some of these COVID situations. So you'll have to keep an eye on that. You know, Crowder is a name, you know, that you could sneak in there, but man, I'm not putting any of these guys in my lineups confidently. I'd just rather leave them all on my bench or on the wire. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, again, game total of 40 points, not pretty much the opposite of what we would call a fantasy friendly environment. Moving on much more fun game here. We got the Browns at the Cowboys. Uh, Dallas opened up as a four point favorite, seeing that uh, still hovering around 4.5 total of 54 up to 55. So this could be the week that I think we can actually get some usefulness out of the Browns receivers. And I know Beckham has had some decent games still because he is there. You know, if we're looking at Stefanski's offense, the Vikings last year, and just comparing that to the Browns, I mean, Beckham is the Stefan Diggs in this offense he's getting all the downfield targets and he's looked good there I mean that double move he had against William Jackson a couple weeks ago is absolutely filthy you see him with the ball in his hands and Beckham looks fine but I mean he even said it himself like this isn't going to be a year where he's going to have big time numbers because of how run first this offense is when things go their way over these last two weeks Baker only threw 23 passes in both games and again Beckham can make the most of these targets because he's 17th uh I'm sorry, he's got a 14-yard uh, average target depth. That's fine. Jarvis Landry is the one who's looking like the odd man now, and I'm not so sure we should expect a rebound, man. I mean, this is brutal at this point. 14 targets through three weeks. The chemistry remains fine. I mean, he's caught 12 of those, but we're seeing him get Hooper, Harrison Bryant, uh, you know, before he got hurt, David Njoku, all involved in the red zone. OBJ is getting the fantasy friendly shots down the field, and we're seeing Kareem Hunt and uh, Nick Chubb, you know, just really soak up the majority of the touches in, in this offense. So normally, like, I'm not going to be looking – at Landry, I think throughout potentially the rest of the season, but this could be a spot where he gets going because they might have to pass the ball more if this, you know, game total indicates anything. And you look at this Cowboys secondary with Bo Chidobi Awuzie and Anthony Brown uh, on IR at this point. I mean, I know Russell Wilson and those Seahawks, that Seahawks passing game is in God mode right now, but like the amount of space they had between them and the nearest cornerback for half of that Cowboys Seahawks game was absolutely ridiculous. So I'm still not sold on Baker, you know, really moving forward, but I think this could be the spot that forced them to throw more often and they're facing a weak enough defense to maybe make something happen with it all right who we got in the Cowboys yeah man to what you just said you know about Seattle I mean I don't think there's been I have to go back and look for sure but I don't think there's been a, uh, another game this season Ian where the receivers from the other team actually got what was called qualified as a wide open look more often than what the Seahawks saw against the Cowboys which is over two steps of separation so the Cowboys have major problems in the secondary I expect that to continue um, just one quick note on the, the great thing with Beckham, you know, in this offense, even though, you know, yes, you know, the target, the target shares are fine, but you know, the, the, the pure number of targets are not where we would want them to be because what you said, because of the run game. And I expect them to run the ball down Dallas's throat. I mean, Dallas couldn't stop, you know, the Rams in week one. I mean, that, that's been Dallas's problem for a long time. If you can run up the middle, you can totally trash the Cowboys, you know, from a standpoint of running the ball. And then you set up play action, and everything else. The thing with, with Odell Beckham Jr. Just quickly that I'll hit on is, you know, if you look at him 40% right now of his targets, 41% are coming on play action. Play action is where you want your targets to come from. So if you're a guy that's getting lower volume and you're trying to make up for it with efficiency, this is exactly how you do it. So I expect Beckham to be in a big spot, just like you. As far as the Cowboys go, we saw a little bit of a change this last week. It was kind of interesting. You know, maybe it's, this is the continued life without Jarwin. It's probably also their thought process around how you attack the Seahawks. They probably knew how they know how they watch their secondary every day in practice. They knew this was 
going to be a shootout. So what was interesting, though, is they went to 10 personnel for the first time ever. They used it 16% of their plays last week. And so that's how you saw Cedric Wilson. Um, you saw um, even Noah Brown, some of these other guys getting on the field. You know, if Schultz was a waiver wire wonder in your league last week, well, not so good, buddy. 56% route rate. Wasn't really out there, you know, a ton, even from a snap percentage as well. Um, you know, he did get 11% of the targets, but if somebody spent quite a bit of money on Schultz last week in the, in the fab process, they're probably going to be disappointed um, based on the way this is looking. The other thing to note is that you know, C.D. Lamb, you know, his routes dropped to 64%. That's the lowest we've seen on the year. And, and it wasn't because they were using less 11, right? They had three or four receivers on the field almost every single play last week. So something's going on there. I don't know. I haven't seen anything. I've been looking, combing the news, seeing did something happen in the game? Did he get hurt? Um, or was it just they got some of these other guys on the field and 10 personnel like Cedric Wilson? And, man, he just popped, you know. He got going. He was hot. Um, he had two really good uh, run after the catch, you know, situations where, you know, he was able to get the ball into the end zone. So we'll have to kind of keep an eye on that. I'm not going to get freaked out about Lamb, you know, this coming week because um, it could have just been a hot hand thing, but I'm definitely going to keep an eye on it. Um, Gallup did finally get going. The nice thing with Gallup, you know, and Cooper, even though in Cooper, you know, he was slow to get up several plays. So that's where some of Noah Brown's snaps came in. But the cool thing about both Gallup and, you know, uh, you know, Cooper is you can continue to trust them. 100% of the time when Dallas is in long down and distance or in their two-minute offense, when you want to have the people you trust on the field, those guys are on the field 100% of the time. CD this last week and those two scenarios fell to 57% and 60%. So like I said, I'm a little bit worried. We're going to have to keep our eye on CD Lamb. But as far as the game goes, I expect Dallas to continue to try to spread people out. Man, 238 plays, Ian, so far. That's number one in the NFL. So, I mean, you just got to roll with all of your Cowboys because they're running, a, they're running plenty of plays. The efficiency may not be great. But Dak's good enough to keep them in these games or keep them in a comeback mode. So no matter what happens in the first two quarters, you're still going to have viable fantasy points every single week because they're either, you know, they're either going to push to try to make a comeback. And even if they don't, we know they're going to run a ton of plays. So you're going to get the volume. It's a perfect fantasy-friendly combination of a high-octane offense that wants to put up points in a defense that seemingly cannot stop anybody right now in its present form. But great point on CeeDee Lamb. And I did see Cedric Wilson back to return a punt at one point last week, and that's what kind of made me think, okay, is CeeDee not maybe at 100%? So that would definitely be a situation where, you know, even if we see him with a full practice this week, but if he's listed on that report with, you know, a knee injury or something, definitely want to take notice. All right, next matchup, we got the Steelers at the Titans. So Pittsburgh opened up plus three, but they have actually crossed the barrier. They are now a one-point favorite. A uh, game total staying tight at 47. Uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, the odds makers out there are just not giving Tantha the respect he deserves. I'll let you touch on the Titans in a minute. But I think uh, the main point here with Pittsburgh is that James Conner, you know, Undertaker Jeff, the guy is not dead. Like, we all wrote him off to be after week one. And Benny Snell looked like, you know, not a snail. So over these last two weeks, Conner has been the PPR RB10 in week two and the RB8 in week three. There was a surprising amount of snow and uh, also Anthony McFarland in week three. McFarland wasn't even active the first two games of the year, but we saw him out there. At the end of the day, though, Connor was still at 66% snaps, 18 carries, five targets. I mean, clearly the league guy, even if it's not that, you know, 80, 90% uh, eight target per game role, we saw, you know, Le'Veon Bell have over the years and just that constant, you know, high end RB1 uh, type status. Even if it's not that, we're still looking at, at worst, I think, a borderline RB1 as long as this guy can stay healthy. I mean, this Pittsburgh offense, I don't think it's quite the same juggernaut we've seen at times over the last decade, particularly if they can't, you know, keep some of these receivers healthy. But it's still a situation where Connor is getting much more work than majority of the league's running backs. And he's proven to be able to do enough with it. So, 
in this spot, I mean, I don't think the Titans have a bad defense necessarily, but they haven't been able to stop running backs uh, really at, at all this year. I mean, Dalvin Cook, 181 rushing yards in a score, 102 yards in a score for, uh, you know, all-world superstar James Robinson, 78 yards in a score for Melvin Gordon. So, you know, James Conner, I think in, in this offense, you know, with their amazing defense and the amount he's getting the ball, like you're not really going to be sitting him as long as he's healthy, but definitely in this spot, I think we can treat him as, you know, a true top 12 RB as long as those wheels stay on the wagon. Dwayne, what you got on the Titans? Yeah, the biggest thing with the Titans is we saw, again, like week one, a return, you know, of really this, you know, higher volume offense. And, you know, traditionally, all of Vrabel's teams, he's had his thumb on the coordinator. And it seems like, well, one, the scripts are going this way, so they're having to keep things a little more wide open. But it seems like he's just more willing to let Arthur Smith do his thing. So last year, I mean, you have multiple games where they were stuck down in like the 50-play range, you know, 55. I mean, just really, really gross. And now you're at 80, 81 plays, 62 plays, 75 plays. So well above where they were last year, they're also having to, you know, throw the ball more because of some of the scripts. So, you know, if you looked at it last year, I mean, multiple games, you know, where they were 55, 60% run. But the cool thing is, if you're a Derrick Henry owner, he's still getting his because they've now picked up the pace. Whereas before, like if it was to be, oh my God, they're throwing the ball 55% of the time and they're only running 50 plays, you would really hate, you know, having Derrick Henry right now. You would feel like a Joe Mixon owner, you know. Um, so right now with Henry, you're fine. You know, he's getting on the field, you know, all the time. Obviously, you know, nobody needs me to tell you, you know, you're going to start him. I mean, he does have a tougher matchup against Pittsburgh this week. But the Steelers, you know, they haven't been, you know, quite as tight on defense as what we thought they were going to be. They've shown that they've had some problems in really all areas, you know, of their defense. I do expect them to come around. Um, but as far as the Titans go, the one thing that's tough about them is they just like to rotate all these guys through, Ian. It's just kind of like, you know, what you see with Baltimore. Um, they seem to have this philosophy of every time we think we can hone in on, oh, man, here's the guy they really want to go to. Oh, it's Jonu Smith or, oh, it's, uh, you know, Corey Davis. Oh, mine and your guy who we just want to see back on the field, A.J. Brown. Oh. Oh. Um, think we get A.J. Brown on this team man running all these plays you know where they're having to have shootouts I just want to see it like just let me see it you know it's all I'm just all I'm asking just let the guy get healthy I think you know we're going to still see good things from AJ Brown this year but right now like with Corey Davis if you look at him you know last week he was only out there for 80 percent of the routes you know you want your top receivers to be at the 90 92 93 percent you know range and that's even with AJ Brown out so they're just rotating all these guys you got Humphreys coming in on the slot you got Cameron Batson whoever the hell that is this guy's getting on the field 71 percent of the routes so it's kind of a cluster. The good news is if things ever shake out for Tennessee at the receiver positions with what's going on with their defense struggling, how well Tannehill's playing, we could really see some production out of these Tennessee receivers where you could have maybe two guys, right, that could really come through. Whereas at the beginning of this season, if you would have told me more than two pass, you know, receivers from, you know, the Titans had a chance to be in the top 12 at their positions, I would have been like, you're crazy. But they've changed the offense. And last thing I'll say, tons of play action, even though they're getting into these shootouts. So apparently there are analytics fans. They do listen to Josh Hermsmeyer, and they understand that even if you're trailing, play action can still work. So that's really great news for their receivers. Yeah, the entire time as you were talking about the increase in play and the volume, I, I just kept thinking about all those A.J. Brown wide receiver one shares, and they're not dead yet. They're not dead yet, people. Not like, dead yet, do not man. let that guy off the bench. Even if there's a fire. But, yeah, absolutely. Philo, because he is being put – once he gets healthy, hopefully once he gets healthy, he will be put into the situation that we were, you know, honestly, like, again, best case imaginable uh, spot for him to return. Dude, he, to, could, so. he could literally over the last eight games blow up the way we're kind of seeing already with Calvin Ridley. Like, that's, that's really what his ceiling is in this kind of an offense that's playing this way. And let's, 
here, let's be honest. Like I like Corey Davis, but it's not like he's coming out here saying I'm the man. Like he's really just still just a component of the offense. They're not trying to funnel things through him. Basically they're like, Hey Corey, you're kind of nice window dressing, you know, go stand out there. We'll give you 15, 20% of the targets. Really the guy that's getting more than anything right now is John Smith. So I think AJ Brown could easily come back and it's the John AJ Brown show. And then you got King Henry, obviously in the backfield. You're tugging on my heartstrings with this AJB talk, and we had you know the Chris Herndon route increase <laughs> earlier, but okay, okay. I'm gonna get a tear out of you. Tear of happiness. <laughs> All right, checking out uh, Saints at Lions. We got New Orleans sitting as four point favorites. Total uh, started at 56, down a little bit to 54. So, uh, you know, looking at the Saints offense, it's pretty much the Alvin Kamara show at this point. Only DeAndre Hopkins has more receptions in the entire league than Alvin Kamara through three weeks. Absolutely ridiculous. Alvin Kamara has zero air yards. That's right, zero, because he's catching everything behind or at the line of scrimmage. God forbid he, you know, caught a five-yard pass down the field. He's certainly making up for that with negative yards the rest of the game. But who cares? Because in points per reception formats, wherever he catches that ball, that's the equivalent to getting 10 yards down the field. Is that the best way to, you know, transform actual real-life football skill into a fancy point system? Probably not, but that's what we're working with here. And Kamara is on pace for 144 receptions. Christian McCaffrey's NFL record for running backs is 116. So this is truly out of this world. I understand McCaffrey was getting a little more rushing workload, and we've actually seen Latavius Murray get 15 uh, touches, five touches, and 13 touches in these three weeks, but Man, looking at DraftKings, like, I don't think they've caught up to this uh, receiving role yet because, you know, we're seeing they, they gave McCaffrey an $8,800 uh, price tag, even though he's obviously not playing this week. And Kamara's all the way down there at 8000 Like, again, he is on pace to shatter what McCaffrey did as a receiver last year. It's truly the biggest cheat code we have in fantasy. And I think cash and tournament games alike, as long as we can confidently project Kamara for literally almost double-digit touches, I mean, double-digit receptions per game. It's so insane to even think about this for any position, let alone running back but that's what we're dealing with right now and while we can do that I mean to see him below even 9,000 he's at 8,000 right now I think you got to find a way to get him into each and every uh, fantasy lineup I know there's a ton of you know viable options this week in that 5,500 to 6,000 range like literally four or five that people are gonna be wanting to get in there for cash but I would just feel very afraid if you have any lineup without Alvin Kamara and if you can help otherwise uh Dwayne are you with me that he's a little bit too cheap and where you got on the lines yeah, man, I'm ex- I'm 100% with you. I can't believe that he's not higher. Uh, and, and it's like you said, I mean, I would just call it a cheat code at this point. Yes, everyone else is going to be on him, but that's okay. You can differentiate your lineup in other areas. You know, if sometime, you, dude, we'll have to do a DFS show. I would love to get on here and talk, you know, DFS strategy. That's like one of my favorite things, you know, once, you know, you know, redraft season's over. As far as the Lions go, man, I have to I have to issue an absolute buy alert. If you're listening to this and you can get TJ Hawkinson for some reason on your wire, he shouldn't be there. Or if you can go make a trade for him. I know last week everybody's like, oh my God, I hate TJ Hawkinson. Look, Jesse James caught the touchdown. TJ Hawkinson this past week for the first time, this is his highest ever in his career. He ran a route on 90% of the team's dropbacks. He had a route run. So that's absolute elite territory for a tight end. I think the shift, it could have been a matchup thing, but again, this is a jump from normally being at 65 to 70%, um, you know, sorry, 60 to 65% is usually his average for his routes. So to be at a 90%, that's more than just a game plan. They're trying to get him involved. You brought Galladay back. I think we could be seeing the shift where this is truly going to be as Galladay gets healthy. It's Galladay and Hawkinson with Marvin Jones as the third dude. Because really, Danny Amendola isn't doing a lot. So if you can get your hands on TJ Hawkinson, you absolutely, you absolutely should. 
everything about him other than I get it. The production didn't come through last week, but this is a young talent. He's a first round pick. He's a mismatch pretty much against any safety, any linebacker. 23% of the targets last week, 28% of the air yards for the team from a tight end. You don't see that that often. He played 100% of the snaps in the two minute offense, 100% of the snaps in long down and distance. They want this guy on the field. Anytime they're throwing the ball, I think they're making the switch and 57% of his targets come on play action. That is so money. So if you got an athlete like that, think George Kittle. He's already a nightmare anyway, and now they're actually using play action. Well, their play action isn't going to be as good as the 49ers because the way they set everything up to look the same, it's still better than no play action. So TJ Hawkinson is an absolute buy. I would use him anywhere. I don't care about the Saints matchup with Malcolm Jenkins. I, I don't care. Look what Darren Waller did to Malcolm Jenkins the week before. Malcolm Jenkins is one of those guys that, yeah, he looks really tough, makes a lot of tackles. But if you notice, he's given up a lot of catches. Yeah. <laughs> you know, So I'm fine with playing anybody against him. I think he's going to be squarely within the game plan. Galladay is going to be, you know, on lockdown, you know, with, uh, you know, Marshawn Lattimore, most likely. So I think we're easily going to see Hawkinson lead the team this weekend and, and uh, you know, He'll be out there for plenty of the routes. I think we can see him in the targets. I think he could easily score two touchdowns for you this weekend. So get him everywhere you can. Go by. Yeah, fantastic stuff there. I mean, every time I break down, you know, this Detroit Lions tight end room, it's every single week. Hey, guys, Hawkinson, amazing player. He's not playing as much as he should because Jesse James is stealing this away. So finally, there is a God because we're getting TJ Hawkinson a full-time role. You know, crazy getting your top 10 pick a, a full-time role in your offense after he's proven capable of, you know, doing whatever he wants. Who would have thought? And what's funny, like this is a public perception thing because people don't get into this stuff. Many of your league mates are going to think, man, he's still stuck in this two-way thing because all they saw was the Jesse James touchdown catch. So, but if you're listening to this, you know better. So go get him. He had a dud in the flow chart game. I mean, how? How could you get on him? That's why everyone, 90% routes. Go get TJ Hawkinson. All right, Vikings at Texans. We got Houston sitting as three-and-a-half point favorites. The total is booming, though, 49-and-a-half up to 54-and-a-half. So a big, you know, kind of waiver claim guy of the week is Justin Jefferson. And, you know, if you haven't checked out the uh, Monday Night Football recap pod, I talked about Jefferson and some of the other uh, potential waiver claims. But I do think Justin Jefferson, to a little bit lesser extent, T. Higgins, are viable waiver claims this week. And this is why. It's because their role has actually changed. and They've gone from part-time players to full-time players from week two to week three someone like me Cole Hartman did not go from a part-time player to a full-time player he made the most of his still spare uh, sparse uh, opportunities so maybe me continues to do that but Justin Jefferson again maybe Higgins truly have a chance to get going I mean Jefferson was just a part-time slot receiver in weeks one and two and this is you know one of the league's most two tight end heavy offenses with Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith that completely changed in week three he became a full-time outside receiver we saw BC Johnson pretty much relegated to the bench and we saw Chad B come in and be that third uh, part-time receiver. So was Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson show. The only problem is that Kirk Cousins in three games where they've had multi-score losses and another just back and forth shootout, he's done 25, 26, and 27 pass attempts. Now, luckily, he is, I believe, second in the league in a pass that's done 20-plus yards downfield behind only Aaron Rodgers despite this. So he's taking, when he is throwing the ball, their fantasy-friendly opportunities down the field, and we know Jefferson and Thielen alike are talented enough to do something with it. You know, again, it's he'd be in every start. I mean, we'd be – I'm confident firing up Jefferson almost every week if we were talking, you know, 35, 40 pass times for, for Cousins. It's not the case right now, but in this matchup against, you know, Houston secondary where 
Other than Bradley Roby, who I think is going to be traveling around with Adam Thielen, not really too much to fear. And I think the only thing holding Jefferson back is a little bit of that volume. But again, in a game where we've already seen the total go up uh, four points or five points since opening, we got a proven talented player in Jefferson now with a roll increase. I am fine using your top waiver spot on Jefferson and treating him, you know, upside wide receiver three moving forward with, you know, the potential for spike weeks as we saw. So, Dwayne, uh, I hope, well, you know, your utilization report is matching that type of uh, stuff I just said about Jefferson. And then let me know we got in Houston. Absolute buy on Jefferson. Awesome. You need to be aggressive on the wire. I 100% back it. Uh, yeah, the only problem is what you just said, you know, the play volumes, but it's kind of like what we talked about with Beckham earlier. You know, this is, it's the same offense, right? These two teams are running, what Cleveland is running and what Minnesota is running. Um, you know, who it could really hurt, honestly, could be Adam Thielen. If Justin Jefferson turns out to be someone that's demanding and worth, you know, giving half the looks to, you know, really what you were counting on with Thielen in this low volume offense is that he really, you know, he remains like the absolute target hog. So the one guy I'm considering a sell on where I can is Thielen. Um, and, and, you know, you could learn, you could live to regret it because Thielen really is good, but if, you know, and to some extent Jefferson being good actually could help Thielen, right? Because now defenses have to pick, which guy do we want to take away? If, if, if Jefferson keeps it up, a lot of teams may shift, you know, to saying, you know what, we got to take this guy away because he's really the big play threat. You know, we're okay with Thielen beating us, you know, 10, 15 yards at a time. And not to say Thielen can't make big plays because he does, but that's the one thing um, that could actually help Thielen. But at the same time, the way I look at it, it's just the low volume. And I'm like, man, well, Dalvin Cook's going to get his 15, 20%. And all of a sudden, if Jefferson's getting 20%, tight ends get 10 to 15% together, all of a sudden, it's not like Thielen can have these 35% target share gains that we're used to. So again, not a strong recommendation on selling on Thielen, but if you can, if the price is right and you can go, you know, find somebody starving for a receiver and you can find, you know, maybe a back that you need to get into your lineup, I would be willing to do that. As far as the Texans go, man, absolute buys across the board. And it's pretty simple. The first three weeks you play the Chiefs, you play the Ravens, you play the Steelers. Okay, now you're staring down. You say, oh, I get to play Minnesota. Everybody has thrashed Minnesota's secondary. I get to play the Jaguars. I get to play Tennessee, who's in a shootout, for God's sake, every freaking week. Um, these next three weeks, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Deshaun Watson is quarterback one, right? He's for sure going to be in the top three or four quarterbacks. So go buy Deshaun Watson right now. If you look at him versus Russell Wilson on the year, you take the matchups away. Big time throws in the league, you know, this year, 10 for Wilson. Guess who's next? Deshaun Watson at eight. Yards per attempt, 9.04 Russell Wilson, 8.34 for Deshaun Watson, despite these terrible matchups. You know, adjusted completion percentage, Russ, is, Russ has got Watson there. And Russ is going to have Watson there because Russ is, you know, he's a freaking Jedi. The guy doesn't <laughs> miss throws. But if you look at Watson the rest of the way, average depth of target is, you know, almost a 10. If you look at his yards through the air, 59% versus Russ Wilson at 63%. Average time to throw. These guys both like to drop back. They buy time in the pocket. They'll make the big throw. And don't forget that while, yes, he lost his possession receiver in DeAndre Hopkins, he now has two guys that can beat the defenses deep. Nobody over the past three years has beat defenses deep more often, you know, on their targets than, you know, what you're going to see from Brandon Cooks and then obviously Will Fuller whenever he's healthy. So I think Deshaun Watson's an absolute buy. If you can get Cooks, if you can get Fuller, they're both buys. They're really splitting everything. Cooks is going to be the cheapest. They're splitting targets 18% and 18%. 
And you know what? They're going to be in the 18 to 22%. Don't expect, you know, a thousand targets. This, this, this offense isn't going to run as fast as Russ Wilson's either. So you're not going to get as many plays out of it, but you're going to get some big plays out of these guys. And these matchups are great. Like you're not going to be surprised if all of a sudden you look down, and you're like, crap, I had Brandon Cooks in my lineup, four catches for 120 and two touchdowns. Like it can happen, you know? So it's that kind of deal where I would, I would look at them both as being, you know what? three to four catch guys that give you 70 to 80 yards, but either one of them could pop for two touchdowns either week. And guess what? You could come out of this three weeks later and they're guys you sell. For DFS, they're absolute gold. They're absolute gold for the next couple of weeks. Um, and this week you can get them both super cheap. Um, last week, you know, I think Cooks was at like 5,400 and on like FanDuel, I haven't checked I haven't checked where he's at this week, but I don't think he did enough to shoot up a lot. The matchup's definitely good, but I would buy on every single one of those guys. And in some shallow leagues, like Brandon Cooks is on the wire. So those, those guys should not be there. Uh, last thing, David Johnson, again, he's had terrible matchups as well. I don't think he looks as good as what some people say. He looks like he knows how to read a defense. He knows how he knows angles. He's not as fast as he was. He doesn't have all the movement that he did right now. You know, he's getting all the work, you know? So, I mean, Duke Johnson eventually will be back. So he's another guy that you can buy low because you have good matchups coming up. Yeah, I would just say with David Johnson, I agree with everything he said with the passing game. With David Johnson, I mean, we're getting the role we were hoping for, which is just nearly every single down. So we have that, and he's at least looked better than what we saw these past two years. I mean, you look at just his more, uh, the forced missed tackles per attempt, he's at point two, and that's exactly where he's at as a rookie. He was at point one five in 2016, point one eight in 2017. He was under point one these last two seasons. Like, it was bad. All, his, all of his value in Arizona was literally just target share. So he's not going to have as much target share here, but – 90% snaps. He's not, you know, the worst running back in the league. We don't have, I'm not going to throw anyone on the bus, but, you know, he's making guys miss. He's out there every single snap in an offense that is bound for positive aggression. Bye, 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 everyone. All right, Colts at Bears. Uh, started as a pick em. Now we got the Colts as two-and-a-half-point favorites, 45-point uh, game total. So I guess the question here for me is, like, what are we making of T.Y. Hilton? Because right now I think Jonathan Taylor might be the only person in this offense that we can consistently uh, ring up as a high upside pick because I know we've seen some uh, Jordan Wilkins over the past few weeks. If you just look at the, you know, end game box score, you might get it twisted as a three back committee. That is not the case. If you look at just non garbage time over the past two weeks, Jonathan Taylor has played 66 snaps. Naeem Hines has played 25 and Jordan Wilkins is only at 15. So it's truly like, you know, a two back committee. And even then it's just Taylor as far and away the league guy. So, you know, continue to treat him as that, uh, you know, high upside RB one. I know last week wasn't the big smash spot. We thought it might be, but you know, not every week is there a deep Defense going to score 16 points. They don't get the Jets uh, every single game of the season. Unbelievable. But T.Y. Hilton is the issue here because, I mean, he's averaging more yards per target interception than last season. It's not, you know, it's a still a far cry from what he was doing with Andrew Luck in his heyday. But uh, I just don't know if the volume is going to be there, man. And, you know, no Pittman, no Campbell. Maybe they do need to just force feed it to Hilton now. But I just don't know if he's going to be able to get past more than a boom week or two because he's too good to be quiet for 16 games. I get that. But I don't I, – I want to be careful about him. You know, maybe he goes off against the Bears and then like we keep, we start buying back in and I don't know because Rivers right now 23rd in targets to wide receivers third in targets to running backs I know he is still able to uh, enable Keenan Allen over the years and honestly like Rivers the arm strength isn't as good but it really hasn't been as good for years and you know the anticipation is still there so you know uh, Hilton did let a you know long touchdown pass just hit him in the chest uh, two weeks ago said he lost in the sun whatever it might have been I mean he doesn't look completely washed out there but just a big question on volume so you know it is a situation where if he does go off soon I wouldn't be against you know trying to sell him off of that peak because I think more and more we look at this offense and it's just a Jonathan Taylor show so uh, Dwayne quick thoughts on T.Y. and then him with some Bears talk. 
Yeah, I think really both of them need what you were talking about. You just need game scripts where you're not completely blowing out the other team. Um, you know, and they've just had some matchups where that's worked out. Obviously, when you get to play the Jets, that can happen. Um, the only thing I have with Taylor that concerns me, you know, just a little bit, it's, it's like, you know, it's kind of like the Nick Chubb thing. You know, obviously, you don't have Kareem Hunt behind you, but it's like you, you love to see your lead backs that, you know, when you get out to these leads that can have these absolute blow-up games because they get this junky fourth-yard stuff. I think we know now they're not going to do that. They're not going to give him that. So the games where you could score 40, 45 points with Jonathan Taylor that we were hoping for probably aren't going to be there. But I think he's still going to be a 20 to 25 point, you know, guy per week. You're still going to get an occasional spike where he breaks a couple of long runs. He's only getting two, he's only getting 10% of the two minute drill work. That's all going to Heinz. He's getting, uh, you know, from a standpoint point of the four minute, you know, work, which is basically what you're talking about, like dusting off a game that is going to Wilkins right now. But I do think to your point, some of that is it's a little bit tilted because they're like leading by so much. I could still see if they're leading by seven or 10 as the fourth quarter, you know, Jonathan Taylor is probably still the guy that's going to be in there. I think Wilkins is truly like when we're blowing the wheels off, like, you know, 14, 21 points. So we'll keep an eye on it. But um, I'm with you. As, as far as T.Y. goes, again, I think it's just the same thing. It's the second half. They're blowing teams out. He's not a good run blocking receiver and they don't want to get him hurt. But if the games are going to be more competitive, I think T.Y. is going to be, you know, in a wide receiver one, wide receiver two range. The problem is, you just got to figure out which one those games are going when those games are going to come. If those are going to be blowouts, then you just have to be more careful with T.Y. Hilton. He's not an every week start like he used to be. But I have a feeling when we see the competitive scripts, you're going to love him. You're going to love what you get out of him um, because you know the other guys they're okay, but nobody is doing what Paris Campbell was doing. You know, Mo Ali Cox is nice, but you know I think the passing game will still. You know, T.Y. is going to get his share, and they'll work him in underneath where you know Rivers can get the ball to him. You know, as far as um, who am I on? <laughs> Uh, bears, bears. Yeah, Bears, sorry. Yeah, as far as Chicago goes, um, the only thing I would say, man, look at Jimmy Graham, right, running around on 75% of the dropbacks. Um, We're doing 16, this. We're doing Jimmy Graham. Dude, I don't know what to say. <laughs> 16% of the targets, 57% of the targets inside the five, 31% of their end zone targets on the year. And the only thing I'll say is the Bears told us, they said in the preseason, we're going to get way more out of Jimmy Graham than what the Packers did because we're not going to make him block really at all. We're just, we, we actually need somebody else. And look, they're showing us for whatever reason that they don't want to put Anthony Miller on the field. Like Anthony Miller should be on the field all the time, but he's not. He's only out there, you know, whenever they're in three wide, which they don't like to do a lot. So I would say Jimmy Graham, you know, if you're absolutely hurting at tight end, I wouldn't go spend a ton of money on him, but I nearly got him in my DFS lineups just based on this route data last week. And man, I wish I would have Ian because like I had a really good day, but it would have been an absolute crush day if I would have had Jimmy G in the lineups. The only thing other other thing I'll say about the team is Montgomery is going to go to a bell cow back now. I don't know how good he's going to be with it. I can't tell you that because the guy some weeks looks okay. The next week he looks really bad, but he's still a young player. He could still be recovering. You know, they don't seem to be worried about his growing, but with Tariq Cohen gone for the season, the only thing that he wasn't getting was the two minute work that was all going to Cohen. And then he was losing 50% of the long down and distance work, which is third or fourth down and seven plus yards. 50% of that was going to Cohen. Now that's all going to come to Montgomery. So I think Montgomery, just from a volume play alone, is going to be a guy that's going to be in the RB2 conversation every single week. And occasionally he's going to have a spike week where he gives you RB1 production. I haven't looked at his pricing um, you know, this weekend as far as DFS goes, but if that hasn't been adjusted at all, which it probably hasn't because the Cohen uh, injury news, actually the final news on that just came out today or yesterday, 
you know, his price is still, probably still going to be um, really good. Now, Indy is going to dominate them up front on both sides of the ball, most likely. So you got to deal with that. Um, but he's going to be on the field all the time. David Montgomery show. And look, if anyone out there was going to tell you that Cordero Patterson was going to have a role, it would be me, everyone. And I cannot say that, unfortunately. Uh, I just don't think we're going to see him. His role is going to stay the same. You know, maybe they bring someone else out. But no, I think Montgomery will be uh, that workhorse, as you said. All right, Chargers at Buccaneers. we got the Buccaneers. Open as four and a half point favorites. We're seeing that all the way up to seven and a half at this point. Uh, over understanding steady at 45. So Justin Herbert might have single-handedly saved both Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler's fancy stock his uh, targets over the last two weeks have been keenan 27 targets austin eckler at 15 hunter henry 15 and nobody else more than five now mike williams has the hamstring injury uh, and justin jackson has been banged up with the quad but you know doesn't quite strike you as a uh, type of figures that are going to change too drastically even once those dudes are back so you know austin eckler I, I wasn't too concerned after week one it wasn't ideal it certainly didn't look like you know top five uh you know ceiling was going to be there at tyron or center but I would just point out that, you know, th what we're seeing with his usage this year is exactly what we were hoping for when we lost not only Phillip Rivers, but also Melvin Gordon. This was always the argument that, okay, he's going to go down targets. And he is. He's only on pace for 85 targets this year. He's probably not going to get 100-plus targets again. But 250 rush attempt pace after he only had 132 last season. Like, yes, we want the targets. Those are more fantasy-friendly than carries. I understand that. But when you can literally take a guy from the RB2 on his own team to the RB1 on his own team, you see this type of usage increase on the ground happen. So great stuff. Uh, Joshua Kelly is, you know, just not in the same good spot this week. You know, surprising see him not smash more against the Panthers but just kind of surprisingly got game scripted out of that one I think what's hurting him though and what the reason why Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler last year and Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb last year could coexist was because we had Hunt and Eckler playing you know 30% plus snaps in the slaughter out wide we're not seeing that in either situation Eckler's only at 60% snaps in the slaughter out wide so I think it hurts Kelly a lot in spots like this where we expect them to play from behind because Kelly's just not gonna be able to get on the field as we saw last year where he was at uh, under 30%. So, you know, hey, Austin Eckler should be getting the rock a lot. He's PFS number one uh, graded running back right now in rushing grade. And oh my God, man, I don't know if you saw the end of that game, but like they they did a hook and ladder from like the 30 yard line on like last second play. And Eckler, man, like it kind of hit him, not in the chest, it was a little behind him. It was nothing but green grass if they could have just gotten that lateral a little bit better. It would have been a walk-off touchdown. So close to, you know, really making that uh, Herbert get his first win. So I'm optimistic about Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler moving forward. Everyone else is going to be tricky, but, hey, at least Herbert's uh, hopefully got us these two. Uh, what do you got on the Buccaneers, though? Yeah, man, that was an awesome play. I thought, you know, it was one of those deals where you're just like, oh, man, just let this happen, you know, for these guys. But, yeah, I love what you broke down on the Chargers. Herbert has brought back life to these guys that work underneath. Um, it's been huge because Tyrod was really the down-the-field show. So, um, as far as the Bucks go, look at who's starting to awake. It's Tom Brady. Um, you know, so if you did draft Brady and you were, you know, optimistic, you were hoping, you know, and I did, you know, I drafted him, you know, late. I was, wasn't taking him early when people would let him slide, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th round. Sometimes I was definitely grabbing my shares of Brady and redraft and I feel pretty good about it now. You know, he's got nine big time throws. That's, uh, you know, second to Russ, Deshaun Watson's third at eight, um, Sorry, Aaron Rodgers is first at 11. So sorry, Packers fans, you guys are actually at first with Aaron Rodgers. But Brady's right there at nine. Um, you know, if you look at him, he's slowly getting better each week. He's learning the offense. So I think he's going to bring some life, you know, 
um, you know, to the team. Uh, and this is, remember, this is a game where they didn't really have to do that, right? You know, I mean, they were playing the Broncos, they were winning, it wasn't really a competitive game, and they still chose to throw the ball. So I think that's a positive thing. The only other thing I would say, you know, is maybe Gronk isn't quite dead, you know, I mean, 64%, you know, uh, route run percentage last week on Brady's dropbacks, which was the highest of his season. We also heard them joking around in the media, Gronk coming out winking, saying, oh, I'm a blocking tight end. Bruce Arians basically saying that, you know, we didn't bring, you know, Rob Gronkowski here to really be a weapon. It's like all this stuff tongue in cheek. And then all of a sudden he has his biggest game of the year. So again, another guy that's really probably trying to round back into form, you know, he had a year without playing football and I don't think it was so much his body not being healthy, but I mean, you got to think about playing strength, right. And what it takes, um, you know, but you know, he is strong enough that they're keeping him to run block. They're doing some things like that. So I would just say Gronk's not dead yet. He's not a guy that I would go drop a ton of fab on, but a lot of guys went and dropped him last week to pick up the Drew samples, to pick up Mo Ali Cox, to pick up, you know, Dalton Schultz, I would say is I'm probably just as happy carrying Gronk as I am any of those guys. Um, and if I can get him, you know, for, you know, pretty cheap on the waiver wire and I need tight end help, I don't have a problem doing that. Um, keep an eye out. Looks like we won't have Godwin this week. So let's see if Mike Evans can get right. You know, um, Evans has had some deep targets from Brady, but I want to see them really get that connection going. And if you're playing in DFS, you know, it could be a Scotty Watson, you know, we could see a moment from him. Um, this week. Brady does really seem to trust him. He's a guy that can pop it and get it loose. So just keep an eye on Scotty Watson. Yeah, count me as one of the donkeys that took Bruce Arians at face value on those Gronk comments, even though we've known for weeks and talked about for weeks about how we can't yeah. trust anything Bruce Arians and says. I said, but... said Scotty Watson. I meant Scott Miller. But dude, one of my best friends is Scott Watson. So I'll have to come tell him to listen to this pod that he's a pro football player, <laughs> Scott Watson. If we got but Justin was, Watson I, out there too, I was, matching, I was matching Justin Watson with Scotty Miller. So <laughs> Scotty Miller, my bad. I gave a shout out to, you know, a buddy. Friend of the pod, Scotty Watson. Much love. All right, Ravens <laughs> Ravens at the football team. We got the Ravens. Started at 12-point uh, favorites. Now they're up to 13-and-a-half over-under, sitting at 52. So, I mean, we were talking about, you know, a two-touchdown favorite, one of the league's most run-heavy offenses. This should be the spot where we are just lining up to target these running backs, but I don't know if we can. And it's really frustrating situation to figure out because last year, you know, Mark Ingram was the 1A. He had at least 12 touches in 13 of 15 games. He has zero games with at least 12 touches this year. And then he look at Dobbins and say, okay, wow, they got to get him the ball more. And they should. I mean, 7.6 yards per carry, 10.2 yards per target. He's 14th uh, in, a, in PFF's elusive rating metric among 65 qualified backs. I mean, the film looks great. He looks great out there, and the numbers back it up. But it's not like that any of these guys are just sucking and, like, we're just watching them, you know, play a mediocre back ahead of them. Gus Edwards is averaging a league-high 5.2 yards after contact per rush. Every time they give Gus Edwards the ball, good things happen that's been happening for the last few years so it's annoying but you know Lamar doesn't throw much to RBs he's running a ton himself it's kind of like the same thing almost in New England at this point where we have uh you know if everyone's healthy in New England we're gonna have three four backs along with a Russian quarterback that doesn't I mean okay last week camped through him but we'll see if that continues and more so in Baltimore we're not getting those targets as often so I think we just you know don't cut Ingram don't cut Dobbins I don't think Edwards is going to get any sort of a featured role without an injury as good as he has been playing. But, you know, until we see a true shift in this backfield, it's going to be hard to treat these guys as more than upside threes, like even borderline RB2s a stretch, because we're literally just hoping they find the end zone on their 
eight to 10 touches. And even that, as we've seen with Dobbins over the last few weeks, is far from guaranteed. So I know we had really high preseason expectations with these guys. They're still capable of pulling it in. I, I don't think this backfield, you know, split is just the way it's going to necessarily be all season long. I mean, hey, maybe they do feature Dobbins at some point and they turn around and do that. But that's not it right now. And we just got to, you know, check the expectations until the situation clears itself up. Uh, Dwayne, anything to say on Washington other than how good Terry McLaurin is? Uh, man, the only other thing I would say is, you know, Logan Thomas is actually, you know, legit. <laughs> I mean, he's running a route uh, 30 or 91% of the time. He's 25% of the team's targets. He's 26% of the air yards, 33% of the end zone targets. So if you happen to pick up Logan Thomas, you know, on a flyer, you know, early, you know, after week one, or maybe you drafted late and you took him in the last round. You know, I mean, it's not a great offense, but, you know, you could do worse. So I think he's fine. The only other thing I would say, you know, talking of running back by committee, like you just talked about with the Ravens, I mean, you got the same thing with Antonio Gibson. We thought maybe we were seeing a flash of what could happen the week before, but really it's just all game script and situationally dependent. You know, they still like to use Barber in certain situations. They still like to lose, use McKissick and quite often to open the game, strangely enough. And so Gibson is another one of these guys, like similar to Dobbins, it's tough to trust him in your lineup, but you can't drop him. You don't want to cut him. You know, in shallow leagues, maybe you do, but in deeper and medium-sized leagues, especially if you've got a lot of flex plays and things like that, Gibson is a guy that I just want to hang on to. Um, you know, you got to remember that he didn't get a ton of playing time in college, so he's still he's still pretty young. We know what they want to do with him. It's just a matter of can he take the rollover. It's a little different than, you know, Baltimore because I think there's less obstacles. Mark Ingram is much better, right, than Peyton Barber. Um, you could probably make the argument that Gus Edwards is much better than Peyton Barber. And Gibson, you know, he can take the role from McKissick, um, you know, because it's not like McKissick is a great pass blocker either. You know, so I think there's eventually a shot that he takes this over, but it's not a very good offense. You know, so that's the thing. The good news is they're running high tempo. They run plenty of plays. I mean, obviously, you know, whenever it's neutral, you know, they're more average to below average, but they're going to be behind plenty. So you're going to get plenty of plays out of the offense. You can pick up some garbage time. So I would just hold on Gibson for now. Agree with you there. Uh, not so tricky situation is anytime you go visit our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. If you like fantasy football, you need to be playing on Underdog Fantasy. Best experience out there. Do snake draft games for real money every week. You draft a new team every week and get a shot at big prizes. No lineup setting, waiver wires, bad trades to deal with. Team that built the app is top-notch. Customer support is awesome as well. So look at Underdog Fantasy on your app store or go to underdogfantasy.com to play today. Make your first deposit and be sure to use my code PFF after you do. Let them know that I I sent you. Moving on, we got the Cardinals at the Panthers. Cardinals are sitting at three and a half point favorites. Over under is up to 52. So, Kyler Murray show. And I know last week, you know, the three picks didn't get the win. Okay, all you, all you real life football fans out there maybe didn't appreciate it. But, Kyler, we're still seeing all, you know, the fantasy friendly rush attempts we could ever, uh, you know, ask for. He's third in rush attempts among QBs, only behind Lamar and Cam. First in rushing yards and tied with Cam for first in rushing touchdowns. The only difference between them is that Kyler is doing a little bit more scrambling, not quite as much design stuff and you know whatever it is I mean Kyler when he's got the ball in his hands truly consistently looks like the most athletic guy in the field which when you're playing in the freaking NFL that's quite the uh, thing to say about someone so at some point the Kenyon Drake experience is going to come through I think that point is in the single best spot for any running back to play against and that is the Carolina Panthers I don't expect them to come uh, you know without high ownership uh, on DraftKings but you know what it's probably worth it he's still the lead back of you know uh 
good offense that's looking like they're going to be great for too long. And Drake Stobin, you know, flirting with that 20 touch mark every single week. So he's been better than Chase Edmonds on the ground. I know, you know, this isn't the 90% snap situation that, you know, we saw for stretches at the end of last season, but still almost a 70 30 split. And Drake is only one of 11 backs with at least 15 touches every single game. So, you know, the three, uh, at least two backs. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, three backs. I really want to buy high on based on the usage, based on what we can project moving forward. Are Kenyon Drake, Joe Mixon, and David Johnson. I know it hasn't been pretty, everyone. You know, don't break your back to go get these guys. But if you can get the value from these frustrated fantasy investors, which I've seen a lot of you out there on Twitter, you are frustrated with uh, this uh, production. Do not be afraid to go against the grain and get these guys. Because again, you can do far worse than starting anyone on a good offense. You know, projected for potentially 20 plus touches per game. Dwayne, what do you got with the Panthers? Tell you what, I like Mike Davis better than Joe Mixon. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> Playing yeah. 76% of the snaps, 65% of the attempts, 83% of the four-minute offense, 71% routes, 83, uh, 33% last week of the targets. The dude is getting bell cow freaking utilization. He's getting everything Joe Mixon wishes that he could have. 75% of the two-minute offense. That's the difference between him and Mixon, right? 75% of the two-minute work and 80% of the long down and distance. Mixon gets 0% of those to 10% of those because they love Gio Bernard. So Mike Davis is in a situation where he's playing the Cardinals. He's going to see plenty of receptions. Buy low right now on DJ Moore. I said it last week, utilization report. I'll say it again. 93% of the routes, 26% of the targets on the season. And guess what? His average depth of target is 13.7. He's leading the team with 50% of the air yards. And oh, guess what? 27% of his targets to lead the team come on play action. His time is coming. 75% of the end zone um, you know, targets this season have gone to DJ Moore. He literally is doing everything except producing so far. Like you can't find better lines than what he's doing. So DJ Moore, who's a guy that is already finished in the top 36, finished in the top 16 of fantasy in his first two years in PPR formats. Like it's coming. I know people keep saying, well, I've heard this about DJ Moore. Well, I'm, you're going to keep hearing it. Like DJ Moore is an absolute buy. And you can probably, to your point, find an owner that's just like, I hate DJ Moore. He sucks. I shouldn't have spent my third or fourth round, whatever pick on him. He sucks. You can have him. That's where you say, great, I'll take him. So go grab him. The other thing I'll say is Robbie Anderson is for real. You know what's funny? You know, Ian, Robbie Anderson, the deep threat, he's got an average depth of target of 9.5 versus DJ Moore at 13.7. It's kind of funny, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's out there a little bit less than DJ Moore, but 23% of the targets versus 26%. And, oh, Curtis Samuel, I really love you, buddy, but you're just a gimmick. You're really, I mean, right now you're just a gimmick in the offense. They're not giving you enough work. Yeah, he got 20% of the rushes, which was only four last week, the way the game went. But, it, you know, a lot of people thought, oh, he's going to come in and split that work with Mike Davis. Nope. No, you're not. He's not. So, great. Samuel, if you're in a super deep league, I get it. You're going to hold him. But if you're in shallow, medium formats, and you like some of these other guys um, that we haven't even talked about yet, um, that we're going to – some of these younger players, but like Justin Jefferson, all day, dropping Curtis Samuel to go get Justin Jefferson. We'll talk about some of these other guys in a minute. I was holding tight on Curtis Samuel, you know, through this week, hoping that he would have the larger role. Did not come, and I'm with you. We need to move on at this point. Love what we're seeing out of Robbie. And I think out of maybe any passing offense in the league, we should expect the Panthers to take, you know, big steps forward as they continue to go through this. No team was facing, you know, less continuity from 2019 to 2020 entering the year. Honestly, they've kind of surpassed my expectations for how they would look in September. 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, all I was going to say, it, you, what you're saying is exactly on. And if you think about it, in the first two games, 74 and 67 plays, well, guess what? They trailed quite often, which they're going to do. This week, they were actually a competitive game. They trailed 0% of the game. So the game was either within three or they were only trailing by four. And so it was a situation, or sorry, where they were ahead or the game was in, within three points. And so they slowed things down. They only ran 51 plays. So the target shares and everything were really still really close to what they have been. They were just able to slow the game down because they were just trying to squeak it out and win a closer game. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of the Dolphins where Fitzpatrick threw 20 passes. So you saw some lower target totals because that happens some weeks. Don't freak out yep. over a one-week sample, everyone. Moving on, Jaguars uh, at the Bengals. We've got the Bengals sitting as three-point faves, 47.5 over under. So I'm going to list the running backs that have more uh, PPR points than James Robinson this season. We have Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones, Ezekiel Elliott, and Dalvin Cook. That is it, everyone. Your PPR RB5, none other than Mr. James Robinson. Yes, he only had 46% snaps last week in a game that, you know, Jaguars were down multiple scores by a third quarter, if not halftime. But, you know, Chris Thompson, he had the six targets. James Robinson also had six targets and 11 carries. And clearly they like getting him in the open field and throwing the ball. I'm not saying, you know, okay, obviously it's still going to be much higher with Thompson. I still wonder what happens when one of Raquel Armstead, Davina Zigbo, uh, comes back because, you know, let's face it, it's not like Robinson just had this role completely won. It did have to have to come with a lot of injuries and decision to cut Leonard Fournette. Obviously, they would have brought someone else in to, you know, share these reps with him. I'm not trying to take him anything from James Robinson. He's actually looked good out there and a lot of the, you know, advanced metrics and tackle breaking and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not calling him the generational talent that a lot of Twitter's been joking about, but, uh, you know, the guy has been playing well. You're definitely starting him. I'm just saying don't quite crown him as a top five back he's been at this point. I think it's the same trap we, don't, we pretty much, at least I did, ran into at Gardner Minshew last week where you know if you want to put someone in and start treating them as an every week QB1 or RB1 wide receiver one and they are on a team that you know we're pretty confident is going to win five or fewer games this year realize that the you know the floor there is going to be much lower than on other teams so you know Robinson's playing great I wouldn't hate maybe trying to sell high I don't know that you could get that big of a you know package for him return but I'm just still a little skeptical we're going to see top 10 you know production throughout the entire rest of the season obviously he is smashing because everyone picked him up on the waiver wire and that's fantastic so there's no reason to get rid of this guy. You start him every single week. But, you know, just realize that we there's a chance we've already seen the best of James Robinson this year. I don't want to be the, you know, the party pooper here. I, I, I appreciate generational talent, uh, James Robinson. But I just don't know if we're truly going to see this guy be a top five fantasy back uh, continuing on. Dwayne, you with me there? And then let me know about uh, the Bengals. Yeah, Robinson was in a smash spot. And I did pick him up for pennies on the dollar and like some really, you know, big leagues. And I was super happy. I had him in everywhere. He lit up scoreboards like a Christmas tree. You know, I won 16 out of 21 matchups this weekend in FFPC. And James Robinson was a major freaking – James Robinson and the Colts defense were major parts of my really great week. So I think it's to your point, you got to pick your spots. Um, the one thing, you know, really – I mean, it's about the guy I'm about to talk about. He's basically Joe Mixon from a standpoint of his utilization. He's going to get most of the carries, so he's going to be in that 65 70% range, but he, he's not getting used really almost at all, you know, on two-minute situations. So whenever you go to the two-minute offense for James Robinson, he was out there 0% last week, actually 0% in the season. That's all going to Chris Thompson, Gio Bernard. I can cover both these guys in the same breath, Gio Mixon. <laughs> Geo versus Mixon, right? Same thing uh, for third down, you know, and fourth down and long, only 6% on the season going to James Robinson. So same thing with G with uh, Mixon versus Geo. So what happens is when you get in these scripts where things are out of control, like what we've seen Mixon face, 
it's going to really hurt James Robinson. You know, so he's been able to be in situations where the Jaguars have either been more competitive than we thought, or they jumped out on a team like they did last week. Now, to what Ian said, I mean, you can't you can't knock the guy. He's looked really great on what he's been able on the, on the opportunities that he's been given. So he's a guy that you know I'm not going to have him out there every single week. But with everything that's going on, and you're playing if you're playing in a super deep, you know, format with a lot of teams in it, obviously you're super happy to own James Robinson. If you're in shallower leagues, just be careful about the weeks where you start him. You may not have that choice in some other leagues. As for Mixon, you know, it's I, I'm I'm less optimistic than you. My thought process on Mixon is unless you see him have a week where he actually gets the two-minute work and he gets the third down work, third and long, you sell the first time he has a big game. Because whatever reason, Zach Taylor is stuck on wanting to use Gio Bernard. He's absolutely stuck. Like his, I don't know why. I have no clue. All I know is that he keeps doing it over and over and over. So the first time Mixon has a big week, I'm out. I'm unloading him. I didn't draft him anyway. I only own him in one, like out of 24 redrafts that I did. And it's just because I was worried about this, you know, and I just like some of the receivers that were going around that tail end of the first round. So, um, you know, I do come into it maybe with a little bit of bias because, you know, maybe I'm confirming that, hey, I knew Mixon wasn't going to be good. Now he isn't. So I like, I'm, you know, want to top myself. But I, I really do try to look at these things ob objectively. And all I can say is the, the problem that I thought would be there is there. They've got a terrible, terrible offensive line. So that doesn't help them either. Um, and they don't get a lot of plays inside the five. Now, here's the positive for Cincinnati, if you can. I agree, Justin Jefferson is your number one for the week, but man, T. Higgins is not far behind. I added him in a ton of leagues last week for one to three bucks because I saw that his routes were going up this last week in 83% of the routes, 23% target share, 43% of the air yards. I actually heard somebody today on Sirius say, yeah, Higgins is nice. He's working that underneath stuff. No, he's not. He has an average depth of target of freaking 17 yards, you freaking blind. 50% of the end zone targets. Why are these people on the radio, Ian? Why are they on the, put, put Ian and I on the radio. We'll actually tell some people some shit. All right, so 50% end zone targets. You got to go get this guy, whatever you can do. Do not try to go cheap on T Higgins. Now, look, I've loved the volume that AJ Green was getting. And I told people on Twitter, look, as long as he's getting the volume, you stick with him. But if they start to move away and show that they want to diversify because they're seeing what some of us are seeing and they see that AJ just hadn't looked great, that clearly seems to be what's going on here. So T. Higgins, for me, his arrows pointed up. Can I guarantee he's going to get all this volume every single week? No, because Green's still going to be involved. Obviously, Boyd had 30% of the targets this last week. Drew Sample, we've seen, can be able to get involved. But when you have an athletic player like this that's gelling with a, with a young quarterback like Burrow, I absolutely want to own every single bit of it I can. Um, I'm probably in situations where I nearly where I really need a receiver this weekend. I'm not going to differentiate. I'm going to put I'll put Jefferson first in my queue, but I'm going to put just as much money right behind him on Higgins. I'm going to go really hard after both of these guys. That's all great. You're in 21 FFPC leagues, man. You are a savage. Like, I, I, everything you said makes sense and all that, but I couldn't get past that there. I mean, what, are you up till <laughs> 2, 3 a.m. on Tuesday night doing waivers? Dude, man? Wednesday My nights goodness. suck. I'm not going to lie. Wednesday <laughs> nights are absolutely terrible. <laughs> everyone out there you want to know how you know someone's you know putting their heart and soul into this analysis when they're in 21 ffpc leagues that's how you know Dwayne's doing this for you just as much as himself i love it man uh seahawks at dolphins we got the hawks as minus six and a half uh point favorites 54 point over under look russ is cooking uh dude is 10th in the league and dropbacks he had one not one not two 
three touchdowns from the one yard line. I'm not bitter. You know, it didn't have a ton of my reputation riding on Chris Carson or anything, you know, definitely not something I'm bitter about. That's you, not me, but uh, just, just wild that in 122 dropbacks, uh, you know, looking at our PFF advanced stats, 10 big time throws, zero turnover worthy throws, eight drops. I mean, you know, it's, it's poor Greg Olson. I hope Russ can just throw a bad pick at some point. So we don't have to continuously remind everyone that, Oh yeah, that one interception went right off of Greg Olson's hand. So uh, I, I love when we still have these small sample sizes to work with, but will Russ throw for the 75 touchdowns this year he's on pace for probably not, but uh, you know what? He's up there and the way he's throwing with this, like you cannot have him outside of, uh, you know, your top three fantasy quarterbacks. You want to have him number one? That's fine. He's being it. I still think Lamar and just, you know, even in his worst game, you know, really almost we've seen last night. I know there were drops and stuff going on there. That's a different conversation. But his rushing floor, I still think differentiated, differentiates it. But Russ, anyone's idea of top three. And just a big cheat code here, which is why, you know, a lot of people uh, just, you know, anointed uh, both Metcalf and Lockett as great targets throughout this entire offseason. It's a condensed two wide receiver target share. I mean, Metcalf, 21% target target share, 45% air yard target share, which is fourth in the league. Then we got Lockett, who is fourth in target share and eighth in air yard target share. And, you know, it's wild how Rush just gets both these guys, these beautiful deep balls, because watching that uh, Cowboys game, I almost – I was making a note to myself to look at Lockett's uh, kind of route tree because it seemed to me he was running a lot more underneath stuff. As I'm typing that note, you know, Russ hits him on like a 50-yard touchdown down the field. So Lockett can do everything. They use him everywhere. Metcalf's, you know, he's continuing to uh, see more and more stuff as long as he can hold that football over the goal line. He's going to continue to be just fine. Uh, you know, Metcalf, Lockett. It's rare that we can get a team with two true wide receiver ones. We saw it with, you know, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans last year. Uh, we might see it this year with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley if Julio can get right and I think we are also seeing it with the Seahawks with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett uh Dwayne tell me about the Dolphins yeah man I have to say there were a few FFPC teams that I saw force it and they literally they went Lockett in the fourth DK in the fifth and then came back and took Russ in the stick in the sixth instead of trying to wait and I remember thinking at the time I was like and that's kind of forcing it, but man, if they do open things up, wow. <laughs> and yeah, looking at it right now, I need to go check where those teams are. And quick, uh, you know, this is kind of just a quick, you know, promotional thing for the utilization report this week. What Ian was just talking about is actually going to be part of what is included this week. PFF George, if you're not following him at PFF George on Twitter, is absolutely the man. He's been working with me on getting these data feeds set up and everything. And man, I'm actually going to be able to tell you guys now which receivers are only being targeted in limited fashion, only be used in certain parts of the field versus the ones that are literally getting used everywhere. They're getting targeted deep. They're getting targeted intermediate. They're getting targeted at the sideline in the middle of the field. I've got all of that data now. So I'm going to be able to actually share not only utilization, but, you know, more about their application on the field. And are these guys that, you know, the offenses are truly trying to get involved. Speaking of somebody that the offense truly wants to get involved, we're talking about the Dolphins right here. He's, you know, if you look at Devontae Parker, he's in an absolute smash spot. Last week, you know, 100% of the routes ran, 25% of the targets, 41% of the air yards, 40% of the play action targets, which is what you want. If you haven't been listening to the early part of this show, it's absolutely huge. You can go read some, you know, work by Josh Hermsmeyer. He talks about, you know, how much more valuable play action targets are worth versus uh, you know, normal targets, plus where they occur typically on the field. If you're talking about in the middle of the field versus linebackers and safeties, Devontae Parker's getting all of that. And so Preston Williams, yes, he's a nice player, but he's not out there as, as much. He's probably still recovering, you know, from his injury right now. But if you look at the Seahawks secondary, they're absolutely terrible. So in DFS, I will own plenty 
of Devontae Parker this weekend. I expect Ryan Fitzpatrick to absolutely ball out in this game and keep things much more competitive because that's what he does in these games when we don't expect it. He just comes out and does it. You know, it's one thing, you know, to see him do it, you know, against Jacksonville, but I think with the Seahawks and how bad that, you know, their secondary is, and they're probably going to be without Jamal Adams. I would say 90% chance they're without Jamal Adams this coming week if they haven't already ruled him out. Um, I haven't seen today. So I'm absolutely smashing Parker. Um, if you did pick up, you know, Miles Gaskin, he's like the opposite, really, of James Robinson. Oh, there's my dog. You guys can all meet my Hold dog. Hold on, that but... dog barked right at Miles Gaskin. That's the dog yeah. play of the week right there. Wow. Oh, dude, actually, there we go. Wow. So, so there you go. But Gaskin, what I'll say, he's the, he's the opposite of James Robinson. He hasn't looked very good, but he's getting all the work, except for the carries inside the five. So, I mean, we're talking about a guy that's out there for third downs. He's out there, you know, in the two-minute offense. He's getting, you know, the majority of the attempts. So he's a volume guy. He's not in a great offense. But, you know, if you need him on a bye week, you know, you don't have to be afraid to get him out there. You know he's at least going to be on the field. It's not game script dependent. Yes, 100%. Yeah, I think normally we overrate vultures, but if we look at the Bills offense and Josh Allen and this offense with Jordan Howard, I think those are situations where truly uh, you do have one guy getting the majority of those touchdowns inside the five. Uh, moving on, we got the Giants at the Rams. Uh, big time line movement already. Rams are up to minus 13 after opening up minus nine, 47 and a half point over under. Everyone pretty much wrote off uh, the Giants uh, after last week. And you know what? I don't really blame them because to face that banged up of a 49ers team and to put forth that effort, uh, absolutely awful. And I'm not sure if it was, might have even been you on Twitter, man. But, you know, I saw someone point out just how Jason Garrett's just prehistoric offense, not using play action, not using motion, things that they could theoretically go out and fix. Are they going to do that? I don't know. Was that you? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was you. I had to live with Jason Garrett in Dallas for a long time. Yeah, it was me. I'm, I'm, I'm stalking you pre, during, post podcast. You know how it goes. But, you know, last week, uh, looking at it, you know, I was really high on just Daniel Jones and GPP potential because we had that more condensed target tree, uh, which uh, Shepard and Saquon Allen and facing that banged up defense. We saw the spike weeks last year. I think we need to, for now, just, you know, more or less stay away from this offense until we see some sort of uh, resemblance of even a competent unit. Slayton is the only one with upside but this week he's probably going to be tracked by Jalen Ramsey and you know what I don't like using an individual wide receiver cornerback matchups as a reason to play or not play someone you know with a 10 spot raking difference but it's a deal breaker and especially in DFS if it's you know a reason to lower your exposure I do think it does make sense I mean I know Ramsey gave up the score to Stefan Diggs Gallup got him you know on that uh, alleged OPI and all that so he's not foolproof he's not Stefan Gilmore I get that but I'm not looking to go out of my way to play anyone on this offense period particularly when they do have someone with Ramsey these talents targeting him so you know Evan Ingram even you know 11 catches 96 yards and zero scores in three games despite playing you know just super uh, full-time roles super disappointing at some point they need to get better but honestly I it's I wouldn't shock me if all if Aaron Donald can just run through this offensive line again and again and again it's a disaster I don't know what Joe Judge and Jason Garrett are preparing this team to do uh you know it's Honestly, like when it comes down to it, if you have two players and one of them is on a team like the Giants and you just look at their, you know, team implied total and who's who's projected to score more points on offense, I think that should be a tiebreaker. And because of that, I'm just not lining up to play Giants players until we see something. And that's something very well could be just once again, this NFC East part of their schedule. So not this week. We'll check back in next time. Uh, what do you got on the Rams? Yeah, man, on the Rams last week, you know, in the utilization report, if you guys read it, 
you know, the number one guy I talked about at receiver was Cooper Cup. Go by, go by, go by, go by. Why? Because when they go to 12 personnel, he's not coming off the field like he did last year. So he's playing all the time. And I said, when they get into a shootout, which they would be in with the Bills and they were likely to trail, guess who, guess who they were going to go to? They were going to go to their slot receiver and they were running 11 personnel most of the game last week because they were trailing. But here's the big thing for this week. Go get Daryl Henderson. Daryl Henderson looked amazing. And if you look at this offense and games they can manage, even in games when they can't, this offense is, again, centered around the running game. That's what McVay has gone back to. They want to run when they can. They want to protect Jared Goff. They still have offensive line woes, and they're trying to mask them by using all of these different variations of the way one play can look to keep the defense guessing. So 51% of the time they're running the ball. That's the most in the NFL if you're considering it versus dropbacks, not just pass attempts. So dropbacks, you could have got sacked. You, know, you could have scrambled. There's all sorts of things. So 51% is really high. I know most of you are like, oh, man, no, like 55% would be the lead. Well, no, I'm talking about actual intent on a play. 51% Rams, number one in the league. Last week, despite trailing on 77% of their plays, they still ran the ball 46% of the time. Most leagues are at, or most teams are at 40 or down below 40%. So it's very obvious what they want to do. And so you've still got Malcolm Brown recovering and I don't know what's going to go on with Akers. He's still got the rib issue. The, the thing is, look, I told people to draft Akers this year, but mainly what I wanted is whoever the lead back is going to be in this offense. And I think Daryl Henderson has the chance to do it this week against the Giants because they're going to be up. He had 65 or 63% of the rushing attempts last week, 60% of the snaps inside the five, 75% of the runs inside the five. No, he wasn't out there on the two minute offense, wasn't out there on the third down and long. So those are things that you're going to have to deal with. But in a matchup like this, if, if they get him going and then he has a chance to grow the role from there, Daryl Henderson looked like what we thought last year when sometimes we were drafting him maybe in the sixth or seventh round, hoping he could kind of be uh, last year's version of this year's Kareem Hunt. You could have that now, and he could be in the lead role. I think he literally, Ian, has the chance that if he comes out and blows the doors off of this, they could literally say, look, dude, it's yours until you prove to us that it's not, and he could hold on to it all season. And if he does, he's going to be – he's going to be – he'll be a top 16, maybe top 12 running back for the rest of the season, and he looks electric. And you look at what even Sean McVay has said. And McVay, I called him a liar on this podcast in the summer. So I'm sorry, Sean. I'm sure you're a big time listener here. But, uh, you know, they asked McVay, he goes, do you believe Henderson will start? McVay said, I think so. I think the more that he plays and the more he's available, the better he's going to get. Hey, McVay's been up front with us. We should probably take him at his word here. And just, yeah, exactly what you said, man. He's playing too good to be put down. League high, 40% of his rushes have gone for a first down or a touchdown this year. They give him the ball, great things happen. This is not a situation where, you know, he busted one big run and that's kind of uh, fluctuating his stats it's almost the opposite man we haven't seen the just, I, I know he had one long run against the eagles but it's more or less just been like 10 12 yards again and again and again guy looks awesome and i'm with you man it's a running offense at its core and whoever that rb1 will be is going to be definitely a fancy uh, rb1 or at least have that in their weekly range of outcomes all right everyone we got uh four more matchups here run through thank you for sticking with us next up bills at raiders Bills are three-point favorites. Over-under is up from 49.5 to 52. So it looks like John Brown is banged up right now. We'll get more uh, information when practice reports come out on Wednesday. But dealing with a cap injury that ended up leading to that goose egg last week. And if he's out, I mean, look the hell out for Stephon Diggs. I mean, you're not benching him even if John Brown's in. But, you know, just on his pace right now, 149 targets, 107 catches. 
1,536 yards and 11 scores. He never had a catch rate above 70% with Kirk Cousins. Somehow, the man, the myth, the legend, Josh Allen, has made that happen. You absolutely love to see it. Diggs is, you know, emerging as that true alpha wide receiver one that we always thought he could be. And the, you know, debate was always just, okay, him or Thielen. Well, Thielen's out of the picture, and Diggs looks better than ever. So, potential just home run spot here. I mean, Damon Arnett, who's already a rookie corner that we're not worried about to begin with against Diggs, but he could be out with a thumb injury. This offense is just absolutely humming. I don't want to get away from the Bills because they have, you know, just – and we've had a – uh, uh, Seth Galina of PFF write a really good piece on this. I mean, they are just surrounding Allen and using him to the best of his abilities. No quarterback has more dropbacks with four or five wide receivers on the field this season. You know, Allen, when he's back there with five wide receivers out there, he still represents a running threat. And that's one of the things the Ravens were able to do a lot last year with Lamar Jackson. So it puts the defense in a hell of a bind. We're still going to get the two or three hilarious Josh Allen moments where, you know, okay, Bill's fans and the coaches aren't laughing, but all of us out there watching him, you know, try to stiff arm three defensive linemen in a row we can have a good chuckle uh but you know you got Raiders defense 28th in pressures this year I don't think they really have uh you know many blue blue chip talents to speak of on defensive side of the ball with all due respect maybe Jonathan Abrams and some of those guys I think it's a spot where Josh Allen and the Bills are going to keep humming and Stephon Diggs is a massive part of this offense and will continue to be so uh where are you on the Raiders 100% 100% agree with that. Um, the, the biggest thing with the Raiders is we know what Josh Jacobs is, I think, now. You know, so he's always going to get the majority of the temps. It's 80%. But he's really kind of in that Joe Mixon range. He's slightly above. He gets a little bit more of the work. In the long down and distance, he gets 33% of the snaps. Two-minute offense, he's basically extinct, 14%. Four-minute offense, meaning you're coming out trying to grind away, salt away a win, you know, or keep the game close and try to kick a field goal to win the game, that kind of thing, which apparently John Gruden still thinks is uh, a good strategy. Somebody needs to talk to him, but 80% of the snaps in that situation inside the five, he gets 86% of the snaps, 67% of the rushes. The one nice thing for him that Mixon doesn't get is he's actually the first read on 58%. Um, of his targets, which means when they are trying to get him involved, even though he may not get as much of the third and long and he doesn't get the two-minute drill stuff, um, they are trying to get him involved in the passing game on the early down and distances, even sometimes off play action. That 58% is is plus 21% versus your average running back. Um, So if you look at it over the last three years, the average running back um, gets, uh, you know, is a first read on a target 37% of the time. And so 58% of it is going to Jacob. So they do want to get him involved in the passing game. That makes him, you know, I think he's still going to be, you know, in the top 12. You're just going to, he's going to have some game script issues. You know, that's just going to be an issue for him, but you just got to start him every single week. You know, he's the lead guy as far as the rushing goes. Who knows, maybe eventually this season they move along from Richard or one of these other guys. But until then, you're just going to have some bumps along the road. Um, Hunter Renfro, the answer is just no. Don't go pick him up. Um, He's dependent on 11 personnel. Gruden wants to run the ball when he can run 12 and he can run 21, which he wants to do plenty of. They're not going to be in 11 personnel. So that means what you're going to get with a guy like Hunter Renfro is it's going to be some weeks he'll get to play, you know, run around on 70%, you know, of plays. And then other weeks it's going to be 40%. He's kind of like Danny Amendola. He's going to be these, he's going to be all over. Literally, that's what he is. He's Danny Amendola, but he's younger. So, I mean, yeah, he carries a little bit more upside, but he's not a guy to go target. Last thing, Ed, uh, Brian Edwards, um, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if you've seen Ian. I don't know if he has heard or something. I looked. I didn't see anything. But, man, he had been out there all the time, only 38% of the routes. He's, he's got an ankle targets. injury. It's ankle? Okay, yeah. cool. Well, then there you go. So, <laughs> keep an eye on that. That did shoot Aguilar up. So, just keep an eye on Edwards' uh, ankle injury. Yeah. 
yeah, otherwise it'd be like, what the hell is going on? So <laughs> reasonable to wonder with that. Uh, Patriots at Chiefs. You've got the Chiefs. Uh, they're, they're opened up minus eight, seeing that minus seven. So still moving around a little bit, but 53 and a half over under. So this Patriots backfield, I think the – so it just depends who's going to be available. And we can't give you a good answer right now because, you know, James White's situation, we're just not sure when he's going to be back. Damian Harris is going to be eligible to return this week if he's ready. And, you know, we just don't really know at this point because, okay, Rex Burkhead did get the touchdowns last week. He got three of them from five, two, and 11 yards out. So, hey, he did actually get a goal line rush from the two-yard line. But, uh, you know, I think more weeks than not, we're going to see Cam Newton continue to at least flirt with, you know, 50% of those rush attempts. Burkhead got them this week. But, man, watching the film, it was Sony Michelle, and he's been a punching bag for most, you know, fantasy uh, and managers and investors and just analysts and whoever over these past two years. But it was maybe the best game I've seen him play with the Patriots. And he did some good things in 2018, so I don't want to, you know, include that year necessarily but at a minimum the best game Sony's played over these past two years and you know you look at this season and all of a sudden he kind of has his name up there with some ballers in terms of just what he's been able to do on a consistent basis you know I wanted to uh look at you know how often are running backs picking up consistent yaks I think sometimes you know they break the tackle at the line of scrimmage go for 70 yards and it kind of inflates things but if you just look at the highest percentage of carries with at least two yards after contact in 2020 the top five backs are Chris Carson Austin Eckler David Montgomery Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle coming in at number five so really consistent you know good good just job by him this year even though he didn't have it last year and caught two passes last week now with all that said I don't think Michelle is going to be all that viable with fantasy back moving forward because Damon Harris, you know, more or less training camp MVP, beat routers talking about all the time there. I think he's going to be active. It wouldn't be shocking if when everyone is together, we see each of White, Burkhead, Michelle, and Harris active. Harris and Michelle more or less split in the early down work. White and, White and Burkhead kind of doing their thing. I mean, they have their own extreme splits. Just if you take Burkhead off the field, White's great. If you take White off the field, Burkhead's great. So they have their own thing. Michelle and Harris have their own thing. And the entire time, Cam, you know, is rushing the ball. So, hey, if Cam's going to feed Rex and White, you know, 10-plus combined targets per week. I know Rex had nine last week. I mean, that's great. I don't know if we can really expect that to be uh, super sticky. Moving forward, uh, you know, we saw the Chiefs kind of shut down Lamar Jackson and company last uh, on Monday night, obviously. So, wouldn't say this is a spot, you know, where I'm looking to target the guys. But if the dudes remain out, if the Damon Harris isn't back and James White isn't back, yeah, I'm comfortable firing up both Rex and Sony. But if we get everyone back, then that's I think we're going to see some trouble. So, uh, Dwayne, let me know if I'm off on kind of that assessment of the Patriots' uh, potential pecking order and then hit me with some Chiefs stuff. No, man, I think you got it. Um, you know, I, I will say people are talking about picking up Damian Harris, and it's fine if you want to add him for just a little bit. But, again, it's just too crowded. You know, it's like you said, even with Sony Michelle playing gay, great, which is kind of the role you would hope Damian Harris would take, which he, Sony may be showing enough now to hold him off. It's like even though Michelle's playing so great, you can't start him. You know, so it's just kind of a tough deal. But I totally agree on the pecking order. I think you nailed it there. Um, it's just it's frustrating, man. You got a quarterback that's going to take carries and they're going to keep three or four guys involved. What you need is literally them to go to one guy and Cam. And even then, you still got to deal with Cam as the vulture. And we just know it's gonna ha- not going to happen because James White, no matter what, when he's back, is going to be the receiving back. Right. And then you're hoping one of the other guys can just take over the rest of the role. Now you see what happens when all of a sudden you get to combine roles, you get a performance like what Burkhead had. We just don't get to see that very often. As far as the Chiefs go, man, there's not really a lot to say. Chiefs are matchup proof is all I can say. If you come out and do that against the Ravens, um, I pretty much don't care who you're playing. And I really, 
have you with the with the draft capital you put in on these guys now for DFS, it, it can change a little bit. But if you drafted these guys and re in you know redraft, you're just starting them anyway. And and you hit on the main thing earlier. You know, Ian, you know, McCole Hardman, yeah, he came through, but really his utilization isn't there. Fine, you got a bye week. You, you want to roster him. You want to keep him on your roster if you can. You want to hold on. But he's just a guy that they like to put out there basically for shot plays. They like to have him stretch the defense, and Mahomes not afraid to get it to him whenever he's out there. So you could get lucky. You know, and you score a touchdown, you might get lucky and score two touchdowns. But just know that there's also going to be the weeks where you're going to get a complete, or you're going to get a complete blank or maybe, you know, two fantasy points out of this guy. So the only other thing I'll say with um, Clyde Edwards-Alary, he's looking really good. Um, not getting the two-minute or the long down and distance work, that's still going to Daryl Williams at this point. They tried to give Darwin Thompson some of that, but I think he fumbled that away. So it's probably just those two guys moving forward. And I'm hoping that Edwards-Alary can, can take away some of that two-minute or long down distance. Otherwise, you folks that drafted him in the fourth, fifth spot of your drafts, some of you even skipped Alvin Kamara to get him. Look, and I liked him. I'm like, look, he's going to be a top six back. But whenever you, I saw some really aggressive stuff, you know, <laughs> like third and fourth pick overall. I think, you know, if you did that, you're regretting it right now. As, as great as the Chiefs offense is, they clearly are not having him out there on obvious passing downs. And we need that to change. Now, it's great because you're not in a situation like you are with Jacobs where you're going to trail very often as the Chiefs go. You're going to be ahead plenty. He's going to see plenty of touchdowns from inside the five-yard line. That's all still going to come. You're going to be fine. You just were hoping for more passing down work. Yeah, usage isn't perfect, but the player looks awesome. I mean, only Josh Jacobs has racked up more broken tackles this season than Clyde Edwards Hilaire. You would think they'll get him going more, but as you said, I mean, still pretty, pretty lofty. 50% floor. target still. So, yeah, I mean, so. It, it's, it's like, okay. You know, we're, we're kind of pinching pennies here between well, what he could be. But. So, him on first reads, 50%. So, um, wait, no, sorry, that's his play action. That's his play action. So he's getting some of these deals where Reed sets up these special plays, you know, where it looks like one thing, it's a play action, and it's actually back to the halfback. So, like, the looks he's getting, like, he's getting some really choice looks. And, man, against the Patriots, like, you talk about a team that has not figured out how to guard these Chiefs receiving backs. I mean, Kareem Hunt went off twice. Damian Williams had two touchdowns in the uh, AFC Championship through the air. So if there was ever a week to really, you know, unleash Clyde, the receiver, might be it. All right, Sunday night football, we got the Eagles at the 49ers, game that looked much more enticing, I think, about a month ago. Uh, 49ers are up to six-and-a-half-point favorites after opening uh, at just minus three. Uh, still don't quite know who's all going to be back for them, but, uh, you know, game total sitting steady at 45. So I think with Philly, you know, it's Miles Sanders and Zach Ertz, and that's it right now, and particularly Miles Sanders, 95 rushing yards back-to-back -back weeks on uh, 38 total attempts, and that's great. The 15 targets is huge for a running back. We love to see that. And it could have been so much more. And I understand people are going to be upset that he didn't, you know, smash against the Bengals, even though he had over 100 total yards. But, dude, they lined him up as a wide receiver, and he ran just this filthy double move, left the linebacker in the dust, and Wentz just sailed it about 10 yards over his head. Would have been a walk-in 50-yard touchdown. I know these things happen throughout the weeks, but all I'm trying to say is that Sanders is healthy. He's getting the workload we want. You know, there are going to be better days for him ahead. Continue to treat him as that top 10 back. And then for Ertz, I mean, you know, we were asking the real question last week, like, okay, do we want to start Ertz or Goddard? And now Goddard's out of the picture. So, you know, Ertz has never really been this guy that's, you know, uh, going to win any other way than just super, super high volume. And guess what? The super, super high volume is back for another year. So only Dwayne Haskins has a lower PFF passing grade than Wentz at the moment. It looks just as bad on film as, you know, it does in the stat sheet. The, the off offensive line is really struggling too. But the problem is, 
We have Wentz, who, again, is not playing well by any stretch of the imagination. And now we have the familiar problem that he's faced over the years where all of his receivers are banged up. So no Goddard, no Rager. We'll see with Deshaun Jackson and the hamstring. Maybe Alshon Jeffrey gets back. But the fact that I just said the words that maybe Alshon Jeffrey comes back, and that could be a positive for Carson Wentz, I think tells you all you need to know about this passing game. Dwayne, what do you got in the 49ers? Man, one quick thing on the Eagles. Super deep, super flex leagues. Just go get Hurts now because – not to have a pun here, but Carson Wentz is going to get hurt. Like, if you watch him, his style is as reckless as ever. I mean, I respect the fact that the guy's trying to win. You know, he's diving headfirst for the pylon. He's trying to make everything happen. But, like, every sack he takes, you know, he doesn't have an easy sack. Every sack is, like, him getting twisted or contorted or hit by two guys, and it's just not going to end well. He's going to get hurt. And so if you're in a super flex league, you know, in a deeper format – just go stash Jalen Hurts right now because I have a feeling he's going to get playing time from injury alone. And if he comes out and looks better than Wentz, never know. know they paid Wentz, but they could just be, they could go with him for a while and you could like that, you know. Um, so not a ton with the 49ers, but we have another young receiver, man, breaking out. You know, so we already talked about Higgins. We talked about Jefferson. This would be the next in line. Um, 88% of the routes for Brandon Ayuk, 24% of the targets this past week. Oh, and he also chipped in 8% rushing, had a rushing touchdown, 29% of the air yards. And oh, by the way, 63% of his targets coming on play action. That's like, doesn't get any more freaking juicy than that. And that's what the 49ers offense does. It doesn't matter who's in a quarterback, doesn't matter who's hurt. Um, you know, this is Kyle Shanahan. This is what he does. He's a mastermind at this kind of stuff at getting these receivers, like just optimal looks. Um, and if you look at the targets in the end zone, 67%, there were three of them this you know, past week. He got two out of the three looks in the end zone. We will eventually get Debo Samuel back. You hope to get Kittle back, but I think there's an opportunity for, that's why I put him behind the other two guys. I see the other two guys as Jefferson, you know, I think he could easily ascend to be the number two, maybe even, you know, kind of split, you know, a little bit. He's always going to be a little bit behind Thielen. Um, but wherever you look at Ayuk, you know, he could come in over these next few weeks and he could actually be the top one out of these guys until Kittle and Debo round back into form. And again, Debo's only in his second year, so it really could be an issue for Debo Samuel whenever he gets back. If Ayuk continues to look this good, um, that could be a challenge. Last thing, just Jarek McKinnon looked really good. We'll have to see what's happened with the injury. But man, 63% of the routes, 12% of the targets, six um, on his dot. Like they're getting the guy down the field, getting him in angle routes, getting him matched up against linebackers. You're doing a lot of different things to make it look like the play is going one way. And then they're really trying to get him isolated, you know, and he's just, he looks explosive, man. I mean, Daryl Henderson and, and Jarek McKinnon, honestly, this last week were the two guys I was really keeping an eye on and they both look super explosive on the touches that they had. So both are looking really good. Awesome story there with Jared. Love seeing him back on the field. Final game. Thank you all for uh, sticking with us this whole time. But Falcons at Packers. We got Green Bay started as five-point favorites up to seven. 58-point over-under. Love all these high 50 uh, game totals we got going on. So sometimes if I feel like I'm just, you know, going off, having one of those days of sending too many tweets, I might take one and just schedule it for some random time. And maybe I'll put it like at 8 a.m. so people think I'm grinding. I'm actually sleeping until 10 a.m. I got some mysterious ways, Dwayne. I work in mysterious ways. You know, it is what it is. But anyway, I wake up this morning and I accidentally messed up or something. Anyway, I send, I send a tweet that said, okay, we have the conversation. Calvin Ridley or Julio Jones in fantasy. 
I meant to say this last week. People were uh, people were saying it's not even a conversation. It's Calvin Ridley's time now after three weeks of action. And you know what? I don't know if they're wrong. And it's absolutely ridiculous. But, you know, in the whole midst of the 2019 Chris Goblin equaling, you know, 2020 Calvin Ridley, that whole movement that we had throughout the offseason, maybe we forgot that 2019 Julio Jones, I mean, 2020 Julio Jones could be 2019 Mike Evans, a little more boom bust. And now with the hamstring injury, it's just hard to say, man. I mean, if Julio Jones is back this week with a hamstring injury and Calvin Ridley is doing his thing as normal, I think I would have to pick Calvin Ridley with my life on the line. I need to decide who's going to score more fantasy points. I mean, at this point, you know, you mentioned before, really good indicator with some of these guys keeping the target shares. Are they getting it on the QB's first read or not? And yeah, Ridley is number three in the league in first read targets behind, behind only Amari Cooper and Allen Robinson. So he's getting fed. And Julio, I mean, we know he's so tough and he doesn't want to play hurt. It's shocking he did miss a week. So when he comes back, I'm not even going to be convinced we're going to see 100% Julio could be out there as more of a diversion. So it's wild. It's 2020. It's been, you know, a funky year. We all realize this. But Calvin Ridley, not only fantasy wide receiver one, maybe just maybe, Falcons wide receiver one, at least in terms of production with this banged up version of Julio. So madness, but Dwayne won. Like, yeah, are you ranking Ridley higher than Julio this week? And then him with some Packers, goodness. Yeah, I don't I don't see how you can't. You know, we need to, we do need to see Julio healthy. I think yes. ultimately what Julio could get out of this is coverage that really he's never seen since he was a rookie when teams had to pay more attention to Roddy White. So True. it'll be interesting to see what can go on for Julio. I think this is an offense that can obviously support both. We could see two guys on a points per game down the stretch finish in the top 12, you know, over some stretch of games. And it could be both of them. Um, when I watch Julio play, he doesn't look washed to me. He just looks like a guy that, you know, he's dealing with injuries. And, you know, that's often the case. Um, he does know how to play through some of those. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I, I, I don't see – and look at you, man, with those first read targets. Where else can you get that information <laughs> besides pro football focus is the only place. I have so many people come to me on Twitter – Oh my God, how can I get my hands on this data? Unfortunately, folks, we love you, but you can't. It's proprietary. Um, you know, it's basically we could tell you, but we have to kill you type of situation. So <laughs> you're going to have to listen to myself and Ian, or, or you're going to have to look at our random tweets that we see. I schedule my tweets for, for, you know, different times during the day as well, because I got a day job that I got to hold down. So I can't always be out there tweeting. I'm just waiting for my boss to be like, dude, what are you out here tweeting? I'm like, going to have to go show him. I'm like, look, man, I just have to set these some things up on a timer and let them roll. Um, as far as the Packers go, um, here's the big thing with the Packers. Really nobody in the league is doing better with their play action passing than the Packers. If you want to look for a reason why Aaron Rodgers, you know, is doing what he's doing and Aaron is great but 31% of their passes are play action. And you saw what it did for a guy like Alan Lazard, you know, this past weekend. So Lazard, 95% of the routes, 25% of the targets, 38% of the air yards, even got in the slot a little bit, 34% of the time, 71% of his targets on play action. You see what play action does, folks. It's not magic. Again, where else are you getting this information? Nowhere, only here with these two dudes. And so this is why you got to keep listening. But as long as you have, um, you know, a situation where, um, you know, we've got Adams out, I think Lazard is a guy that you can use in tournament action. And don't be, don't be afraid to do it with Marquise Valdez-Scantling as well. It happened for Lazard this week, but a deep tournament play could be a guy like MVS, throw him in the lineup, especially love him, love him in showdown that kind of a format, right? He's a guy, man, you just kind of chunk up there, you know, say you're going to throw just a couple of lineups together, you know, make sure you get a guy like MVS, you know, in the lineup, because now people are all going to be on Lazard. And you're like, hey, man, this week it, it could happen for MVS. Um, I was so close 
Ian, we'll have to talk about it later. I was so close on Sunday night. I needed a Jamal Williams touchdown. It would have done it. I got my oh, touchdown. Oh, we almost Tanyan. got there. I got my Tanyan touchdown. I got my Lazard big play. I totally faded Aaron Jones, and I but I used both quarterbacks. I had Kamara, which was easy, in my captain spot, you know. So I got into you know the top three hundred. I was right there. I was just waiting on a Jamal, and he got a carry, dude. He got a carry down there. I was like, get in there, big guy, but he couldn't. Anyway, so what am I? What are we talking about here? The only thing <laughs> other than that is Tanyan. Uh, besides me, like just going off on you know my showdown uh, moment. Um, 63% of the snaps, 57% of the routes, not great, you know, but he does get the play action look. So if you're in a super deep league and you're like literally scrounging the bottom of the barrel type of situation, like, oh my God, Dwayne, I just need somebody to stick in there for a week, whatever the case may be. Yeah, you, know, you can look at Tanyan. I'd rather, you know, be in a better spot, but it helps more if, you know, it's a situation where Adams is out again. 100%, man. Yeah, I love that Marquez Ball scaling call and showdown because, you know, even if Lazar is taking on maybe that, you know, just he had more targets last week, but even if he has the bigger role, MVS's, you know, field stretching big play role hasn't changed at all. So he can still pop off, you know, the boomer bust receivers. He had a bust, could very well have a boom next. That's going to do it, everyone. Dwayne, thank you again, man. Always a pleasure uh, talking to you. Everyone, make sure you go follow Dwayne on Twitter, at Dwayne McFarland. You might see his uh, you know, Twitter name as Context Matters. Again, utilization report, one of the best things you might read all week. Uh, Dwayne, when's that out and anything else you got on the horizon? It'll be coming out tomorrow. Awesome stuff, man. Make sure you check that out on pff.com. One last quick shout out to our sponsor, Monkey Knife Fight. I have some people reach out to me and say, hey, Ian, want to sign up for PFF? Any code I can use? Don't have a code, but you can go to Monkey Knife Fight, make a $20 deposit, and when you use promo code PFF, you will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value, four to 20 bucks. And guess what? You can turn that 20 bucks into more money if you're able to win some money on Monkey Knife Fight. Uh, they have daily fantasy and prop games. I want the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA. So Monkey Monkey Knife Fight, Code PFF, $20, free $40 subscription. Good stuff all around. So thank you all for listening. It's been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Ian Hartz. Until next time, take care, everyone.